Hello, hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Daily Friends Show. I'm your host, Nicholas Lorimer, joined this week once again by Mr. Herman Pretorius. Herman, how are you doing? I am well, thanks. It's good to be here. It's good to be back. Excellent, excellent. And Sarah gone. Sarah, how are you? Yeah, um, yeah, I went to the most peaceful country on earth, Iceland. Uh, but I am so pleased that Herman's back because I don't have to worry about trying to brush up our Australian accent, as you can hear. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it mine's a bit rusty, but hi, we'll see where it goes. Okay, mate. Right. Um, before we drive away any more viewers, uh, I just would like to quickly tell everyone about a new YouTube channel. Um, so for a long time, the Daily Friend and the IRR have shared a YouTube channel, but the IRR is striking out on its own and now has its own YouTube channel. If you are on YouTube, I'll just put a link to it in the uh, in the chat here. Uh, but basically, it's a place where you can watch um, the, the press briefings, book launches, and other content from the IRR uh, with a, a very kind of direct focus on the work that the IRR is doing. Okay, um, so... Let us get into the news of today. Um, the first thing I just want to mention, and this is, I think, a bit of a good news story, is the uh, eight men uh, accused of assaulting a number of people on the side of the road, uh, uh, members of the VIP protection unit that was filmed. Um, they have now all been arrested and are going to be charged with assault, malicious damage to property, and pointing a firearm. Um, they're appearing... I think today in the Randburg Magistrates Court, uh, they were all told to hand themselves over to the police at three o'clock on Sunday, and seven of them arrived on time, and the eighth one was late by half an hour. Uh, all eight have been suspended. Uh, Sarah, who knows a lot about labor law and that kind of stuff, says that they're very likely to have been suspended with pay. Um, so that's not ideal considering what happened, but that's the procedure they have to follow, I suppose it is. Uh, and hopefully justice will be done. Uh, because this kind of thing is completely unacceptable. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about BEE. Uh, there was a meeting of the, uh, I think it was the Black Management Forum recently, uh, where a lot of comments were made about the state of BEE in the country, and there seemed to be a little bit of disagreement between the members of the Black Management Forum. Uh, Raul Koza, uh said that uh, uh, BEE needed to copy the the method used by Afrikaners, saying, quote, we probably have the densest concentration of billionaires in Stellenbosch. It's not by accident, it is by absolute design. They, the Afrikaners, laid the foundation legislatively in a manner that was not open to misinterpretation. They meant business. So Corsa is the chair of Discovery Bank and insurance from Asupol. Um, and he said that it was unjustifiable that there were so few black billionaires have been produced since 1994. And so the, the lessons needed to be learned from the way that the Afrikaans community had dealt with BE. There were some, I believe, especially from Sunlum, uh, managers from Sunlum, who defended BE as it's currently been implemented, saying that the problem was just that it hadn't been implemented aggressively enough. That was the real issue with why BE had not succeeded. Uh, uh, the Black Management Forum, Eric Mafuna, said... If you look at us as a political economy of today, we come across very much like an outpost, not as a country in Africa that cannot be corrected by culture. It cannot be corrected by begging. It cannot be corrected by limp-wristed uh, legislation. Um, that South Africa was not an emerging, but a submerging economy. And it needed, it, it couldn't even provide basic services to lots of its people. Um, he said, 
quote, I will be happy if we disband the BE legislation the way it is structured today because it is not working. It works for the guys who are at the top. A lot of them who are preaching BE, they got their share and have forgotten. There are other people. They open the door for you to come in and say, lock the door, please. So, Herman, um, a lot going on there. But there's a lot of things, I think, that, that really kind of annoy me about this. One of them, I think, is the idea that be that uh, what we might call Africana from uh, employment equity or affirmative action or something like that, um, which took place particularly, I think, in the earlier years of apartheid, uh, where you saw um, a preference for Afrikaners over English South Africans in the civil service, was really not that effective. Um, and actually, if you compare the fortunes of white South Africans to other sort of colonial settler populations like in Canada or Australia or the United States, they tend to be worse off because, surprise, surprise, when you suppress the economic growth of the country as aggressively as apartheid did by, you know, creating all these arbitrary regulations which locked huge amounts of labor out of the workforce and that kind of thing, you really just kind of hurt the fortunes of everyone. Yeah, white South Africans were better off, but actually they would have been even better off if there had been no apartheid. So do you agree with me? Um, and what's your thoughts? Yeah, on the no, no I, I, I definitely agree. And the, and, the, and the data shows it quite explicitly. I think um, I, I couldn't find the page in, in, in Franz Grunier's book where he sets out that issue. It's one of, in one of his three books, he makes this point that um, white South Africans, uh, due to apartheid, were actually... Uh, relatively rich, but uh, in terms of absolute uh, considerations, actually quite poor. Uh, and as you say, that's partly because, uh, well, not, not partly, that's because if you are going to have an economy that works, uh, that creates wealth, that creates opportunities, you need a few key ingredients. Um, and the key ingredient of that is an accessible market, a market that is accessible for the entrepreneur, accessible for the laborer and accessible for the consumer. If it's as easy as possible for the entrepreneur to start a business, the laborer to get a job and the consumer to purchase a service or a product, that is when you actually get economic dynamism. That is when you have the opportunity to take resources that might be physically and geographically fixed, but actually in terms of how you apply them and how ingenuity can manipulate what you have, uh, unlimited to a very much extent, at least super abundant, as Marion Tupi might call it. But the point is that if you struggle with one of those three elements in terms of market access, if the consumer can't get to the market to purchase goods or services, if the entrepreneur can't actually establish a presence in the market, or if the laborer can't participate in the activities of the entrepreneur and meeting the demands of the consumer, you stymie the economy. And that's exactly what apartheid did. And um, the, 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 the logic of it is just, you know, quite straightforward. If you're in a country with between 70 and 90% of people who you're going to economically exclude from working near the hubs of economic activity or living near the hubs of economic activity as consumers, you're going to drain your economy. Uh, and that's exactly what um, Walter Williams found in his brilliant book, uh, South Africa's War on Capitalism, where he writes particularly about labor policy, how uh, labor was made uh, uh, artificially expensive 
uh, by the apartheid government's race-based employment policies and the exclusion of uh, black laborers from the uh, geographical areas where their labor was needed. Um, and John K. Berman makes this fantastic point in, in, in Between Two Fires, where he says that the end of apartheid was primarily civic and commercial in the sense that the cost of labor became so expensive, number one, that the government, especially in the 70s uh, and 60s, had to keep on tightening and closing labor legislation loopholes because employers, far from actually playing to this caricature of white businessmen looking out for the white man, businessmen wanted the cheapest, most effective labor. And that was in apartheid South Africa, black people, because they couldn't get any other jobs. So uh, they weren't allowed to. So then the commercial entities kept pushing for looser labor uh, uh, legislative framework so that cheaper labor could be made available. And the government had to either accommodate it as it did from the mid 70s onwards or push against it as it did for most of the 50s and the 60s. So it was the cost of labor that actually made apartheid unaffordable in actual political, but more crucially, socioeconomic terms. If you think you're going to get socioeconomic success by copying apartheid, then you haven't been paying attention to the last century or the last 30 years, because you destroy wealth if you impede market access for the laborer, the entrepreneur, and the consumer. And if you want to do that in a modern economy and put up more barriers for not only labor, but investment, perhaps the fourth component of that access uh, uh, structure, then you are just shooting yourself in the foot. The fact that someone can look at the employment stats between 2004 and today and cover the period of black economic empowerment, or as we should call it, blatant elite enrichment being in force, you cannot come to the conclusion that it has been anything other than a repeat of when race-based policies fail as it did South Africa pre-94 and as it did since you know 2004 again. So what's interesting here is, you know, the Black Management Forum, I think, has been, you know, one of the kind of voices in society that's been the most pro-BE. And yet here, its founding president is going after BE, is saying it's, you know, something that's just not working for people, that's actually only enriching a few people at the top. And it's kind of funny that, you know, at the same uh, venue, forum, you've got people saying, we haven't made enough, made enough billionaires, which is exactly the point, right? It's this obsession with creating billionaires as a, as a matter of state policy. If you create billionaires because people, the economy is growing and there's so many opportunities for wealth that some people are able to take advantage of that and make huge piles of money, that's great. That's awesome. That's what should be happening. But like sort of state mandated billionaires of certain races, it's just, it's got, it's like interesting here that even the Black Management Forum has had to admit that there are problems with the way the BE is working, right? And yet, Sarah, um, they're all sort of stuck in this idea, at least some of their members, uh, that, that what we really need to be doing here is creating more billionaires, not creating jobs for people who are, you know, close to starvation. You can't, you can't create people. Um, well, you can certainly educate them and you can train them and you can give them experience. But whether somebody earns 100,000 rand a year or a billion rand a year depends on many more factors than that. And let me put it this way, whatever the faults may be, the guys who 
who in, in the private sector earn a billion or are billionaires, there will have been a, a lot of hard slog having got to that point where you, you become, you don't become a billionaire. You don't say, okay, I'm going to take this white billionaire in and put out and put this black billionaire in. It doesn't, a free market doesn't work that way. Um, I think they also, you know, I, I, won't, I don't want to go into it now, but just to say that wealth is such a, a, a broad concept. It, it's, it's composed of so many things. And the, my impression from some of what's being said is, is adhering to that myth that we have this wealth that must be transferred, whereas wealth is not, is, is not a fixed, it's not a constant. It can either shrink, which we are doing, or it can grow. And for exactly the reasons that Herman gave, you allow you give people as much opportunity to get into the process, the more it'll grow. Now, obviously, people will have done very well in the last 30, uh, 30 years and at, at either very high level or at a professional level or whatever it, whatever it might be. But the, the key has to start with education, and our education system is is is, is way is beyond terrible. Um, it has to be education. It, it it has to be a better tertiary education, a more varied tertiary education. We've also got to look at what we can do well. That you know that that is, offers something beyond South African. Uh, you know, there's just too much that other people can can supply to us that it doesn't make it worth our while to make. So we've got to be creative in that sense. It's about creating space. And sometimes it will mean, particularly where you've got a large, unemployed, undereducated workforce, allowing people to just get a foot in at some level in an environment. Um, I mean, what, what I think the problem is that the mindset that the ANC's um, Marxism orientation has done, it's taking no regard of the fact that the ability for a person to succeed to a greater or lesser extent when all else is said and done is about that is, is that person's personality is that person's ability or those person's talents and uh, I mean, there's no snowball's hope in hell that I would become a millionaire unless someone put me you know into position and said earn a million earn a billion or whatever um, a billionaire sorry so it's just that and and the problem of course is that it's not perfect and it's not going to happen within a time frame because that's a very Marxist way of looking at things. It happens over time. But the more it happens, the more it happens. Um, and the more space you give to people, black business or white business, to create business, the more people are given the opportunity to create job, to, to fill jobs. And if they have to start at, at low-level jobs, below the minimum wage, if it gets them going, that's that's the and that's what matters. It's just that you cannot dictate performance to people that may not be within their skills, or or dictate a limited performance to people who can who are capable of really flying. So I think it's it's the artificiality. It's a sense that there's a whole chunk of stuff that you can chop off and give to people. You give nothing. Right. I mean, the people who by and large are billionaires, and unfortunately, I don't include Cyril Ramaphosa in this because it wasn't his business skills; it was his charm that got him to earn the money that was then shared with the ANC. But about business and what skills are needed, and that you actually need skills, not so much. So, you know, he—he's a billionaire, but he—he he didn't earn it in the normal way that billionaires earn big money, and that is by being unbelievably creative and probably nasty and aggressive and demanding. So this is exactly it. The, the secret to getting more black billionaires and to getting 
more people in jobs and more people able to live decent, healthy lives is if you grow the freaking economy. There's a sort of underlying kind of point made in, in, in these things is that ah, the, the, the system is structurally biased against us. And it's always like such a sort of complicated weave to pull apart. Is there legislation that is still racially discriminating against black South Africans? No. Uh, are black South Africans worse off in terms of things like education or places they live and stuff like that? Yes. But dividing up the pie into ever more precise amounts is not going to fix any of that. What fixes the problem is growing the economy and making more opportunities available for people to find their own way. And what what what's so frustrating is that the the free marketeers or the capitalists in America uh, often get get attacked for wanting trickle down economics. This is the definition of trickle-down economics. If you think you uplift a country by creating a few dozen billionaires, it just doesn't work like that. And Nasara points out, you can as much legislate someone into billionairedom or wealth as you can try and legislate the weather. The question is, we are human beings with specific needs and specific desires. The object of an economy is to utilize the time, the resources, and the talents you have to meet the needs, demands that you can realistically offer a solution to. And the, the idea of trickle-down black economic empowerment is as idiotic as any other form of uh, trickle-down economics in the sense that if you want to ensure you create wealth, you create the opportunity for people to add value. And as long as we have, have a, an economic empowerment policy focused on wealth redistribution and not value add opportunity, we will see this deterioration and it is completely self-inflicted. Right. And of course, it is worth reminding everyone that despite uh, and this is contrary to some of the claims, I think, of, people, of some people in the Black Management Forum that uh, uh, affirmative action hasn't been pursued hard enough. It's been pursued as one of the most aggressive policies in government. Uh, almost every single government department sticks to those things religiously. A lot of the private sector, even without government forcing their hand, has, has, has done, a, done a lot and put in a lot of things to, to uh, kind of implement, essentially be even sometimes beyond the targets that government gives them. And yet, despite the aggressiveness with which BE has been followed, it has not achieved any of its aims. Inequality amongst black South Africans is is much worse than it's ever been because you've got the small connected elite who are reaping all the benefits of this. Um, black unemployment is up. Uh, in many ways, um, the economic opportunities for black South Africans have stagnated over the last decade. It has been a total failure as policy, even if, you, even if the only thing you care about is the well-being of black South Africans, which is not the only thing you should care about. But if that is the only thing you care about, it has not been successful. It has been a failure. It has been one of the biggest failures of this government. And the, the sort of religiousness which it is stuck to, I think, shows how ideology just overwhelms uh, a genuine desire to actually improve the lives of ordinary people in this country. All right. Anyway, um, that being said, let's move on to something else. Uh, Joburg blew up recently, or at least the street in Joburg. Um, it used to be Bree Street, although it's, uh, the name's been changed since then. Um, although 
Everyone to still sees the toilet breeze. <laughs> so this, this, hey, this I, I'm, basically... I'm from Pretoria. I, looking at Joburg, it's always difficult to judge when it hasn't blown up or not. <laughs> so this street, uh, uh, there was an explosion underneath it, and I'm sure many of you have seen the videos of it. Uh, it was quite dramatic. Um, cars being flung like several meters into the air. Only one person died, which is the truly shocking thing, although I think something like 80 people were injured. And we still don't really know what caused it. Could have been a gas pipeline which broke and exploded. There are gas pipes in that part of Johannesburg. It could have been a sewage leakage into the storm drains which built up a methane gas explosion. It could be something else. Some people have even suggested that maybe illegal miners, Zamazamas, have something to do with this. Um, Sara, what, what, what do you make of this? There were there have been a lot a lot written about this by Peter Bruce by some people in the Daily Maverick, uh, talking about the response of the Joburg city government, including the fact that they apparently don't have any engineers or people who are able to diagnose the problem here and, and put out sort of emergency tenders after the explosion because. They don't know who, 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 who can fix it. What, what are you making, sorry? Well, uh, you see, Egoli Gas is the only, um, only organisation that specifically pipes gas to, to houses, to buildings, etc. That's their business. They were hived off from the municipality. So the municipality itself has no gas, doesn't perform any gas functions outside of the committee meeting environment. So that's that, so they probably per se don't they, they have no specific function to provide um, expertise for. The problem is they should have, and that's probably has a, you know it, it's a lot to do with the other things that are going wrong in this in in, in this town. Is that there's the skills are either short or inadequate or poor, um, but we we do have we we have a skills problem. So it's not as if you can say ah oh, the skilled engineers. In the water department, let's go and talk to them, and we'll see where you know make a plan, and they can refer us to people. It's I think the problem is it's it it's not a problem that anyone would have thought of in any way whatsoever until it went disastrously wrong, and that's when you need the expertise. Now, I'm look. I, I think the department, the the municipality should have the expertise, but if they don't have the expertise, head on fast to the private sector and find the expertise because of, of the consequences. I mean, awful stories about, they, you know, people living in the area, working in the area, still haven't got water, still haven't got electricity because the area underground has not been declared safe yet. So, in other words, there is, there is a skills deficit and, and there are ways of dealing with it. But I think part of the problem is this is very much symptomatic of an ANC that continues to use the parlance distrust the private sector. And... Uh, you know, it's like it's absolutely irrelevant in 2023 how the ANC feels about the private sector. What matters is where the skills are, and I think this is the problem. I think the the um, the way the ANC has run things, much of the policy it's put in place has forgotten that you have to have skills, and to have skills you have to have education, training, experience. In other words, nothing can happen fast. You can't have, as they often complained of having at ESCOM, uh, a lot of people who are trained but not experienced, a lot of people have experience but lack training. It doesn't work that way. Being in a position to, to meaningfully do something positive 
in a job takes time and takes work. And uh, I, I think they've hit a problem that is absolutely beyond them because it, you know, it just, it, they, they haven't had to worry about it until literally blew up in their faces. Exactly. Um, it's, it's kind of, now, so I'm not an engineer, but it does seem a bit crazy that they haven't been able to determine whether it's safe or not. So as a result, City Power and Joburg Water have not reconnected okay. the areas around there's uh, water and electricity. And in fact, they have no timeline for when it will be declared uh, safe or not, which, Herman, I don't know, what are your thoughts on this? Well, uh, what, what jumped out at me from this entire story is, as far as I understand it, none of the causes of this explosion are sudden. Either you have a gas leak that uh, doesn't happen immediately, and if it does, you know, uh, it, it, it ought to be picked up by people, you know, smelling, oh, look, you know, sodium monoxide or carbon monoxide. Uh, sodium monoxide will be a bit uh, disastrous. Um, but uh, the other question of whether it's a sewage leak and uh, the buildup of methane gas, again, over time. And another one is illegal mining. I mean, I, I don't know the speed of illegal mining, but I, I doubt they reached, if that is the case, which I highly doubt, they reached the, that, you know, triggering place in, in, in a day's time. And so the, 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 the fact that this blew up and one can watch the two or three seconds of the actual chaos doesn't mean that it wasn't a decade in the making. None of these causes jumped out as a surprise. None of them could have. That's not how these sort of implosions and explosions work. It is a dearth of skills. And I was struck the other day when I was watching a, a, a documentary about um, this. I, I mean, I, I just live a thrilling life about <clears throat> the Thames water management around London they have a dedicated roving crisis engineer corps with its own emergency vehicles to locate water leaks. Water leaks in, 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 in London, you know, it's not a water poor country, but they have a dedicated specialist municipal engineering emergency unit that can locate a water leak, you know, four meters underground, and have it dispatched and fixed within four hours. The idea that um, CADA deployment and state capture is a victimless crime has been made a lie at least by one death and a blown up street. This is the inevitable result of hollowing out institutions, politicizing appointments so that you can appoint irrespective of merit, and at the end of the day, it literally leaves holes in our streets. And the sad thing is, this if, if we look at how long it takes to repair things in Johannesburg, I, um, I really do pity the people in, in, in that area. The, the price and the value of their property has just plummeted because that's going to be a place where no one can do business or no one can live properly for, I think, years. Indeed, and the uh, completely forgettable mayor of Joburg, who will probably be gone in two months or whatever. <laughs> I'm sure this will be his crowning achievement. Um, okay, so let's do one last story very quickly. And this was kind of like reported as a good news story, but it's actually a really bad news story. 
Uh, and the headline, I, and I think it was on Eyewitness News, was KZN Gold Mine Adopts New Approach to Address Scourge of Illegal Mining. And it talks about Bosfeld Gold Mine in the north of KZN, which has uh, had a lot of success in curbing illegal mining by uh, initiating a new scheme um, where it has kind of incorporated former illegal miners into its infrastructure. Most importantly, their um, a leader, a guy called Mavuso, who... Well, prior to this, he had apparently commanded a mob to rain hellfire on the mine, uh, which saw a group of about 100 people attack the mine and burn two esca uh, excavators and smash up two cars, uh, destroying almost 6 million rands worth of equipment. Uh, he was also once the ringleader of 170 Zamazamas, but he's essentially been incorporated into the mining structure now, and he's now legally making quite a lot of money off of uh, being involved in the mine. Um, so, Mavuso uh, himself says, it was difficult, but because I was young, I was 16, I didn't really care about all the dangers of illegal mining. I was working for food for my family. Essentially, what the mine has done here is paid off a mafioso. That's really what's happened here. Uh, and the problem with this is, okay, they've solved this problem. This guy's now on board, and his, his illegal miners are kind of on board now, and they're all living happily ever after until the next guy who isn't part of the deal says, hey, I want my slice. Uh, and that's really how this can turn into a bit of a problem. Why am I being hysterical, Sara? What do you think? Well, let's put it this way. We, uh, Herman was talking about the failure of all aspects of government. And the Zamazamas show that in, in the absence of, of, of proper policing, um, mines and, and, and uh, construction sites are under attack. And this is one way of, of solving a problem, as you said, for a short while. And, uh, I mean, there's the case now in the, in the city council of uh, Durban where the, the, the head of a, a mafia, a construction mafia, wants to be paid 5 million rand because these guys helped to, uh, I don't know, keep unrest in 2021 at bay. The council said no, and they said, yes, no, we must give it to them. So I, I've certainly read examples that have succeeded in the private sector when they've got hold of the issue and and just ignored, largely ignored government. But in the absence of that, these guys have the space. The space is becomes theirs. Herman, uh, I guess the one way, you know, maybe his Zamazama still, this guy's Zamazama still have uh, weapons, um, in which case, you know, maybe they're the new security for the mine. Uh, which doesn't seem like an optimal outcome either. Maybe that's how they're going to prevent more mafias coming in and trying to take a cut out of the mine. But that probably involves essentially Fine, shooting people. So this really doesn't seem like a sustainable solution here. No, it's not an economy. It's a shakedown. And the problem is that you could just see the ripple effects of this. The cost of production at that mine has just gone up, not just because they have to replace the 6 million rand of equipment, but because they now have someone who can hold them hostage for, so, so, so costs have just gone up. Production costs have just gone up. The, the price of firing people has just gone up because the risks are too high. You can't get rid of the bad people because you know you might get whacked. Um, you can't hire the best people for the job because you might get whacked. Um, so you've, you've, you've just made the labor operational functioning of that mine more expensive. So it, will sell its products less or at a higher price, which is either bad for the economy or bad for the mine. I, you know, it's both. And then you also get to a point as to that 6 million rand of, of damage was probably claimed from some insurer. 
at what point do these insurance companies just say, you know, South African mining uh, businesses are, are simply too, um, too risky to, to, to offer insurance for, or the insurance you offer will be at a very high premium that further puts up the costs of that mine's production and its output. This might be a, you know, lol, chuckle, chuckle, we do negotiate with terrorists, isolated incident. But this isn't the end of this. This, this mafiosi approach will, will proliferate uh, and, and one can just see the damage. We can, we can look down the, down the line, I promise you, in five years' time that mine will be gone. Right, this is how mining works in the Central African Republic. Uh, you set up your mine and then you wait for the first bucky load full of guys with AK-47s to show up and then you work out how you're going to pay everyone off. <laughs> yeah, you don't have a stock exchange, you have a hostage exchange. It's insane. <laughs> right, you know, if you want to get illegal miners into the into the sector in some way, in a legal way, I, I think there's definitely a space and a room for that. But you have to yeah. be really careful with this kind of thing. Anyway, um, now to be fair, the guy did do some time in prison for illegal mining crimes. He did four years, <laughs> which is not a lot actually considering. How uh, is that to be fair? Uh, why, why do you present it as a, on the other side, um, you know, he might, might be a mafioso now, but he paid his due to the Are you near some, are you near Bree Street and have you inhaled something? <laughs> I'm just saying you didn't, uh, you didn't get away with it completely. Um, but anyway. Yeah, it might have been impossible. Let us... <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Let us close up for today because we are going a bit long. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, we hope that you enjoyed the show. Just a programming note, uh, we're going to have the shorter version of the show on both Wednesday and Thursday, and then we'll have the full-length version of the show on Friday. So we'll see you around. Cheers, everyone. <laughs>